Watch podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch podcast, we're going to be discussing the Beef Watch webinar series that's been held in the month of January, hosted by Nebraska Extension, on the topic of preparing and managing for the calving season. These webinars are presented every Tuesday in January, January 5th, 12th, 19th, and 26th. On January 5th, Dr. Howden Clark presented a seminar on preventing calf scours. And I'm joined today to talk about this topic by Dr. Clark. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you, glad to be here. Well, the focus of your presentation was on preventing calf scours, in particular, management practices producers can utilize to try to reduce the risk of having scours occur. Before we talk about that, share with us a little more about why calf scours is such a problem for cow-calf operations what are the organisms that cause that? And then let's talk about management practices to prevent it from happening. Yeah, so scours is an infection of the digestive tract in a calf, mainly the intestines, that disrupts the normal uh, digestion and leads to the loss of large amounts of fluid from the calf's body in the form of diarrhea. So the severity of a case of scours can range from a mildly loose stool uh, to a life threatening situation for the calf. In severe cases of scours, it's the fluid loss rather than the infection itself that can kill the calf. Uh, and the most effective treatment methods are designed to replenish the calf's bodily fluids. Uh, so Aaron, as you know, newborn calves need antibodies from the mother cow's colostrum in order to thrive. But the amount of antibodies that the calf receives in the colostrum is, is finite. There's a limit to how many the calf gets meaning that when they're used up, that's it. So soon in the calf's life, the calf's own immune system is going to have to produce those necessary antibodies to protect its health. Uh, so the first month of the calf's life is the main danger zone for scours. So while all this is taking place, often the conditions in the calf's environment are right for spread to occur. So uh, in a study by Anderson and colleagues, uh, they followed 3,300 calves for several years in Montana and found that weaning weights were 19.8 pounds lighter in groups of calves that were affected by scours versus groups that had not been affected. So that evidence suggests that calves that had a case of scours early in their lives were not able to be as productive later in their lives as calves that did not. So that highlights why prevention is so important. So you mentioned the pathogens. There's a, there are a number of different pathogens or infectious organisms or germs that cause it. Viruses like rotavirus and coronavirus, and that's a bovine form of coronavirus that's been around for a long time. Uh, also bacteria like E. coli and salmonella, and even protozoa such as cryptosporidium. And, and there are some others, but those are the most common. And three points I'll make about the pathogens. Uh, any group of cattle will be shedding some or all of these at any given time at low levels. These are common cattle pathogens. Another point I'll make is that when samples are taken from a sick calf, the lab usually finds more than one pathogen. And this leads us to believe that we're fighting a set of conditions that allow for overwhelming exposures rather than fighting a single specific bug at a time. Uh, one last note on the pathogens uh, that cause calf scours is that several of them are zoonotic, meaning that people can get sick from them too. Uh, so it's important to maintain good hand hygiene, wear gloves when appropriate, and be careful with dirty boots and coveralls and clothing 
in order to protect yourself and your family from the possibility of infection whenever working with sick cats. Dr. Clark, I think we have come a long way in the last 50, 60 years with vaccines. And in many herds, a scour guard or some kind of pre-calving scour vaccine is given to the cows. How does that tool fit into the management and prevention of scours? Yeah, so there, there are a number of ways that vaccination can play a role. Uh, one of them, like you said, with scour guard is building immunity in the cow so that she can pass antibodies, hopefully protective antibodies onto the calf via the colostrum. Or there are also a number of products that are designed to immunize the calf directly or otherwise protect the calf that are given immediately after birth. There are a number of products available. So regarding vaccination, I don't think it's possible to design a single protocol that will be ideal for every herd. And that's because vaccine selection is going to depend on the risk of exposure in your herd and balancing the cost and the logistics of using the vaccine versus the estimated benefit in your herd. And your vet is really in the best position to help you make those decisions. Based on the studies I've read and my own experience, correctly applying some of the Sandhills calving methodology is the most effective method for preventing calf scours. So about 40% of the herds over 200 cows have adopted some of these Sandhills calving methods, which is really very rapid uptake of new information in our industry, especially considering that uh, we've only been talking about this for about 20 years. So some of those early studies, the first two herds that are described uh, that implemented Sandhills calving methods, they dropped their scours death loss from about six to 15% death loss for the three or more years that researchers were able to collect data in those herds. And then after implementing Sandhills calving, it dropped basically to zero and stayed at zero as long as the researchers followed those herds. So that's a pretty, pretty amazing turnaround. And so these Sandhills calving methods are, are the strongest methods I'm aware of to prevent scours in beef calves. Dr. Clark, let's talk a little bit about this in more depth for those who may not be familiar with the Sandhills calving system. What's taking place from a management perspective that changed the environment or changed what occurred to significantly, and the study you cited, basically eliminate cask hours as being a problem? Yeah, so we know that wet, cold, and muddy conditions help these organisms survive and proliferate in the environment. And we also learned that the levels of these pathogens in the environment can go up exponentially when young calves in their first month of life are congregated in one place for lengthy periods of time. This is the result of something called pathogen amplification, and that's a concept I want everybody to wrap their mind around if possible here. It occurs when the first calf picks up a small infectious dose of some of these scours-causing pathogens that are being shed at low levels by the cows. Now, the first calf might get, might get some of these pathogens in his mouth, in his nose, and develop a very mild infection, but he will amplify virus or bacterial pathogens that he took in and shed it into the environment in his feces. And the, the calf that comes along after him, that's a little later born, is gonna pick up a larger infectious dose from that environment and is also going to uh, develop a, an infection, maybe a mild infection this time, maybe a little bit, uh, some loose manure is noticed by the producer, but he gets better right away and really has no trouble, but sheds a lot more of those pathogens into the environment. 
So the later born calves are the ones that can be born into an environment that's just inundated with some of these pathogens. And those are the ones that can develop some severe infections and some severe cases of diarrhea. So that is what is meant by either serial or sequential infections and the concept of pathogen amplification, where when we calve and calve and calve in one spot, the pathogen levels in that environment are going to go up greatly. So anyway, so yeah, you ask about some of the methods to break this chain. So as I said earlier, the method is called Sandhills calving. And the basis for this is just breaking this chain of sequential infections. So we accomplish this by allowing a group of calving cows to remain in a single pasture or pen for a week or so, and then moving all the cows that have not yet calved to a new clean pen or pasture. And this basically allows for an effective restart of calving season in the new pen. And so that group will remain in the new pen for another week. And then again, all the heavy, still pregnant cows will be moved on to a fresh pen or pasture and so on through calving. So when the youngest calves are at least one month old, then the, the entire group can be commingled again. So we sometimes hear that a certain producer may not have enough pens or pastures to make this work. And in some cases that may be true, but if we think about it another way, we might find some, some solutions. So if you have a nice tight calving season, almost two thirds of the calves might be born in the first 21 days and then another 20 or 25% are likely born in the next 21 days. So you might have 80 or 85% born within the first oh, 42 days of the start of calving season or so. So if cows spend the first couple weeks in the first pasture and then are moved every seven to 10 days after that, then you, after four or five pens or pastures, you, you may have protected over 80% of the calves in the entire calving season if if those descriptions match your herd. So sometimes it doesn't take as many pens or pastures as it sounds like. So I just want to encourage anyone who's thinking, I just can't make this work to consider ways and maybe talk to your veterinarian about ways that you can make it work on your operation because it really is some very powerful information to have. Dr. Clark, in your presentation, you also talked about being mindful of and managing the calving environment that's occurring. And especially this time of year for those who calve and January, February, March, we'll sometimes see huts or areas where the calves can go to get out of a lot or pen and lay down, get out of the weather. And you talk about the knee test to really identify, is that environment wet, moist, and maybe one that's helping to proliferate these organisms. Go into a little more detail about some management practices just in a calving yard or calving lot, and also areas where maybe we've got a calf hut or a place for those calves to get out of the weather, things we need to be paying attention to there to also try to minimize risk. Yeah, so the basis for breaking that chain of sequential infections is going to be protecting the newest born calves from the calves that are at peak shedding, which is going to be somewhere between 10 and 30 days of age. So the basis for what I'm going to say about calving huts and calf playpens and those kinds of things in pens will be based on trying to protect the newest calves from those 10 to 30 day old calves. And of course, the pathogens are shed in the calf's manure. So wherever they lay down, if it gets soggy and wet, that's going to be the perfect conditions for pathogen spread. So a lot of the calf shelters that I see these days have hooks on the or a bar on the top so that they can be grabbed with a skid loader or a, or a tractor or bale, bale spears picked up and moved to clean ground. So I think one ticket is going to be setting those 
on clean ground where there haven't been calves previously. That's going to really help keep the cleanliness inside there high. Getting good bedding, whether it's uh, straw or corn stover or whatever you typically use for bedding and keeping it keeping a dry surface in there so calves have a have a dry place to lay down. And, and like you said, the knee drop test is really about the best. If you can drop to a knee in there and come up without soggy coveralls, then you've got a good place for calves to lay down. And then moving and rebedding those as needed is going to be important. Dr. Clark, as I think about uh, for many folks, uh, they're in a calving lot and they're frequently pairing out calves. So they've got cows yet to calve and then they're because they want the cows up close where they can offer assistance uh, if needed. And then they're pairing out these young pairs, maybe into a different uh, pasture or trap. What might folks think about in terms of management there? I'm thinking about particular maybe first calf heifers, second calf heifers, where they want to have them up close and pay attention to what's occurring around calving. Yeah, that can be a tricky situation to attempt Sandhills calving. I think one thing to consider, I actually spoke with Dr. Dave Smith about this very question prior to the presentation, and he said that it's difficult to institute Sandhills calving methods when that's your main system. A few things that could be considered would be a portable handling facility. Uh, I got to be involved with a large ranch in western Nebraska where as they moved cattle through pastures, and these were all heifers in this case, about a group of about 800 heifers, uh, they just moved the, uh, the working facility along with the, the heifers that needed to yet, that were yet to calve into each subsequent pasture. That worked really well. If that's not an option, then uh, cleanliness is gonna be key. Keeping the calving area, the chute, Anywhere that baby calf, that newborn baby calf is going to be laying down absolutely as clean as possible is going to be about the best you can do. As we think about the cow-calf producer and he's pairing these, these calves out maybe within a couple days after they're born, is there anything that can be done from that management perspective? For example, maybe the first 10 days to two weeks, all those calves go in one group and go maybe to one pen or trap and then uh, the next set go to a different pen. Would that be a way to perhaps get some of the benefit of this kind of management practice? Yes, I think that would be very helpful if you pair out in a, what we call like a seven to 10 day of age calf cohort, just a group that's all born within seven to 10 days. Yeah, I think that's that's well worth the effort. And then even if you have to bring animals up to the chute, if they have calving difficulty, if they're if you're able to break the chain on the front end also so that so what you described would would kind of break the chain after the calf's born but if they can be dropped into it into different areas also at least the majority of them the ones where the heifer doesn't have to come to the chute if those can be in fresh areas even if you only have a few if you can use those on the front end too i think that can be helpful the main difficulty we see is where all the calves are born in the exact same place. That That's the hardest to manage. Anything else on this topic, Dr. Clark, that you'd like to highlight that you think would be important for producers to know and understand as they think about ways to prevent scours in the cow herd? I think probably the last thing I'd say is it's this is a perfect time of year to get in touch with your veterinarian and make sure that if you have had problems like this in the past in your herd, that you know uh, what 
your veterinarian is recommending currently as far as treatment. Uh, a lot of times it's going to entail an electrolyte packet mixed into a calf esophageal feeder bottle. Uh, making sure if you if you expect to have to do some of this that you know how to effectively, quickly, and safely tube a calf. That's something your vet can help you with. Knowing if you have a calf that is in bad shape, when to bring it in to the clinic and get it cared for. All those kinds of things would be well worth the conversation with your vet now to make sure you've got all those things in place. And that's probably about it. Thanks again for joining me today, Dr. Clark. Thank you. Well, for more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I'd encourage you to visit the beef.unl.edu website. The webinar series is being archived and you can find the webinar there at the website. It is available to be downloaded and watched and would encourage you to take some time to view that. Also at the beef.unl.edu website, there's additional articles on the Sandhills calving system and how that system works.